appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for making time. Let's look at Jesus together. My name is Willis. Um, I'm really hungry right now. I didn't eat enough dinner. My sermon is actually about hunger. It's called Hope for the Hungry, so it's weirdly appropriate, ironic. I don't know. I'm going to make it through here, guys. RUF is a place where we want to help you follow Jesus. It's not about me, not about Anna, our awesome intern. It's not about any of the people in this room. And I love many of you. Some of you I don't know. <laughs> That's not a weird. I don't hate anybody here. I just don't know all of you yet. This is not about us. This is about Jesus and his goodness and how he satisfies the hunger that we have. So I'm glad that you're here. Let's look at how to follow Jesus this week. The main thing I want you to know about me, aside from my hunger, um, is that I'm not a good person. But Jesus loves me. And he loves you. And that changes things. Uh, his love reaches us where we're at. Not where we wish we were, but where we actually are. Today we're going to talk about our physical hunger, our existential hunger, and how the love of Jesus reaches us right there. Um, before we go there, let's read our passage <clears throat> before I forget. Revelation 19, 5-9, like I said, we're trying to look at heaven. This is kind of like the... The strong preview next week is like, boom, here's what heaven is. Can't wait to preach that. Last week, the last week of our series, two weeks from now, is going to be like, what does this vision of heaven mean for the way we live our lives now? So anyway, that's where we're going. The first part of this, Revelation 19, 5 through 9. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And they are. Amen. So let me pray. Father God, we ask that these words, Lord, would sink into our hearts. Lord, that you would open up our hearts, open up the mouths of our souls, that we would be filled with your goodness, and that our hunger would, if not be fully met and satisfied, at least that we would know where to go to get our hunger satisfied. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, truth is about us, about humans, cradle to grave, we're hungry. Cradle to grave, we're hungry. Death row inmates, they get a last meal. You guys know about this? I actually looked it up. I was like, is that a real thing? It is a real thing. Not in every state. A lot of states do the last meal. They get to request some of the uh, actual published last meals of specific inmates. One guy, two cookies. Fair. Uh, one guy, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Strawberry Ice Cream, and a bottle of water. That's good. Uh, one other guy, a dozen raw oysters. All right. Uh, one guy, a pound of popcorn shrimp, a pound of medium-sized shrimp, a pound of jumbo shrimp battered and fried, loaf of garlic bread, french fries, pecan pie, pecan ice cream, iced tea. There's no way he ate all that, right? I'm sure you give it a shot. We go out of this life hungry. We also come into life hungry. Uh, this beautiful reality happens when a, a new baby comes out. It's born. The doctor usually puts it on the mama's belly. 
the newborn baby's eyes aren't even open yet. Uh, I mean, can't crawl, can't do nothing. It can inch its body, I've seen this myself with my kids, inches its body towards the mother's breast. It's hungry, knows where to get food. Cradle to grave, we're hungry. And if you're someone, maybe you're in this room, you're like, I don't really feel hungry that often. Honestly, Americans, we have food all the time. So if you have a troubled relationship with food, and you're like, actually, for me, hunger means something different than for other people, we're going to see that how physical hunger that we feel in our bellies is actually symbolic, the Bible treats it as symbolic, for a deeper existential hunger that is soul deep and that every single one of us has to wrangle with. So this sermon is for the hungry, the full, the dieting disciplinarians, the bulking gainers, the guilty gluttons, all of us, because it's not a sermon about food. It's a sermon about the Jesus who comes to satisfy the hunger of our hearts. So where are we going tonight? We're hungry, the appetizers, the feast. We're hungry, the appetizers, the feast. Let's do it. So point one, we're hungry. Let's look at our hunger. So there's a daily rhythm of hunger. You wake up, eat. Who skips breakfast? Be honest. Who does that? What's wrong with you people? I don't understand. I'm dying by like 9 a.m. if I don't. Okay, wake up so some of us eat coffee maybe. A couple hours later, eat some more. A few hours later, maybe eat a snack. A couple hours later, eat dinner. If you're like me, 9 p.m. rolls around, you're ready for dinner number two, right? So like it's a regular rhythm in our day. This actually adds up. On average, uh, average person, 32,098 hours per lifetime eating and drinking. That's two, over 200, over 2006 waking 16-hour days. That's five and a half years of your life, on average, spent eating and drinking. That's crazy. That's 7.2% of your life if you live to 75. It's a lot, right? Have you ever stopped to think about how God made us this way on purpose? Like, he didn't have to make you an eating being, but he did. Being hungry and then eating something, feeling satisfied. He wants you to have that experience. It's a daily, tangible reminder that you don't have what you need inside you. You need something else, right? We need the land. We need other people. We need God, ultimately our maker. And Jesus is good. He loves to fill us up. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to go there next. But first, we need to admit the brokenness of our hunger, right? You can see the brokenness of our hunger in what we eat. Of course, we can talk about the unhealthy relationships with food that we have, what we eat, what we don't eat, you know, the sugar, the caffeine, the fat, whatever. Um, Jesus came to meet us in that, save us from that. We've talked about that. It's important. I want to talk about the, the next layer down, though, the other hungers that we have. Because we consume more than food. It's not just food, right? Our existential hunger has a much broader appetite. What are you hungry for? We're hungry for a sense of significance. We're hungry for a sense of belonging. We're hungry for the feeling of being a good person. We're hungry for success, fame, love, hungry for sex. And so we consume things. What do you consume? What's your diet like? We consume media to distract us. We consume praise to comfort us. We consume medication to help us. We consume experiences to stimulate us education to equip us, pornography to comfort us, people to affirm us. 
We can get, who knows what Pac-Man is? Who's ever played Pac-Man? Okay, good. I was like, is, am I too old? Is that like a, it is a 90s kid thing, but you know what it is. Anyway, Pac-Man. We can imagine ourselves like Pac-Man moving through the maze of life, just kind of like gobble, 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 eating up things left and right. We move through life as consumers. Humans are naturally this way, but just like in Pac-Man's maze, our maze is also haunted by ghosts that consume us. The things we consume end up eating us. They say you can't have your cake and eat it too. This is more like in Mother Russia, the cake eats you. <laughs> Our lives are like the stuff that we go to, to consume, it actually ends up owning us. Technology devours our attention. Exercise devours our energy. Relationships devour our hearts. Social media devours our contentment. Substances devour our willpower. Success devours our time. Self-improvement devours our care for others. These aren't all bad things. It's just the reality is the stuff we go to to consume, it ends up consuming us, taking something from us. The things that we consume end up consuming us. And this is not like a truly symbiotic relationship where both parties win, right? Um, the things we consume are often themselves lessened. They're robbed of their dignity as we ask them to fill our aching bellies. And we ourselves are lessened, robbed of our dignity. It's like we stand in the breadline of hell begging to sell our birthright for just a bite, you know, a taste of something that could fill us up for the hunger that we feel in our souls while the tables of heaven sag beneath the weight of a feast that we never imagined. And I'm here, a beggar like you, telling you where to get bread like you've never had before for free. Isaiah 55.1 Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Throughout the entire Bible, we see God moving towards us in our hunger to meet our hunger. Physical hunger, existential hunger, all of it. And the cool thing about this is throughout the Bible, the way God moves towards us to satisfy our hunger, it builds. It's like appetizers building towards the feast. It builds and builds toward the last point, which is Revelation 19, that passage I, I just read. We're going to get there in the end. But let's kind of trace this line through the Bible. So... Just like six appetizers, I want you to see breadcrumbs through the Bible to whet your appetite for the feast. We see how God's heart, his character, something like just baseline, fundamental to who he is, is feeding the hungry. So Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So every tree in the garden. Peaches, apples, bananas, nectarines, oranges, pears. My personal favorite, the almighty mango. <laughs> Nothing better than a perfectly good mango. Incredible. All that, there's to eat. Um, but he doesn't want them to die. He doesn't want them to eat what's bad for them. He says, this one, don't eat it. But they do. And even after they eat what's bad for them, he keeps moving towards his people, them and others, all the rest of us, to feed them. So you see this in Exodus. Exodus, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. He sets them free from slavery, leads them through the wilderness to a different place. In the middle of the wilderness, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. 
So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And that's what happened. Quail comes in the evening, bread comes in the morning, just like laying out on the ground. Go pick it up, eat it. He feeds his people. How would, this is like, this is a, a moment of crisis for the Israelites. So like, I wish that we were back in Egypt in slavery. God's like, I just set you free. What's going on? What does he want them to see about him? What does he want them to know about him? It's pretty simple. He wants them to know that I'm the God who feeds you. Joshua. In the book of Joshua, God gave his people that we just talked about. He gave them this homeland full of good food. They called it a land flowing with milk and honey. Psalm 23. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus himself. What was his very first miracle? John 2. Jesus goes to a big party, a wedding reception. These are going for like a long time, days. They run out of wine. Real mood killer. Big downer on the whole celebration. Jesus takes six 25-gallon water jars turns the water in them into wine. Really good wine. That's 150 gallons of wine. So that's the equivalent of 750 bottles of wine. God doesn't just move towards the starving so they can like survive and get by. Like here's some rations, guys. He moves towards the bum so they can party because he wants us to have good food, good wine. Don't miss the significance of this. Feasts Wedding feasts especially, that was what it was, John 2. Wedding feasts especially, significant in the kingdom of God. We're going to see that more about that. One more, okay? We're talking about last meals before of the condemned person. Remember Jesus' last meal? The last meal Jesus ate was a ritual meal of the Jewish people called the Passover. They'd been eating it for like decades, centuries. And at that meal, he told them the new meaning of this meal. He says, he institutes what we call Lord's Supper, Communion, the Eucharist. Actually, my friend, not the only pastor in the house here tonight, Jason Kriaski, uh, friend, pastor at my church, preached a sermon on this on Sunday. So anyway, some ideas from you, Jason. Credit where credit is due. Thank you. Um, in this, uh, Jesus gave us a meal to eat, a ritual meal that we would be able to experience through food, through drink, something of God's goodness for us. You didn't have to do that. It's kind of weird, honestly, right? Like, it's weird. Like, little bread, little, little cracker kind of thing, usually. Um, we need that. He is spiritually at work through that. It's not about the, like, if it was the bread, I'd be like, give me some better bread. It's not about the bread and the wine. It's about Jesus at work in us through that. If, though, you've taken communion, and like me, you're like, I feel a little unsatisfied walking away from the communion table after my little wafer or whatever and the little grape juice or wine, it's actually the point that you would walk away unsatisfied because it is an appetizer to something much better which is coming. You're not supposed to be satisfied with this life. You're not supposed to be like, oh, I guess this is all there is, so should I make the best of it? No, you're supposed to hunger for something better. We are hungry. All these appetizers throughout the Bible remind us we need a feast of cosmic proportions to fill our souls, all our hunger. So, Revelation 19 comes like a waiter a waiter rushing to your table saying, I'm so sorry your meal is so late. It's on the house, and I promise it's almost out. Revelation's telling us it's coming. The feast is coming. It's going to be worth the wait. So point three, last point, the feast. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. 
And what does it say? The marriage supper of the Lamb has come. What does it say? It was granted, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the angel said to this, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. To understand this, we need to understand how weddings worked in Jesus' day because it's totally different than the way we do weddings. I love weddings. Weddings are great. Our weddings are great. Jesus' weddings, honestly, are probably a little bit better. So ancient Israel weddings, how did it happen? First off, so the groom sets his sights on the lady that he loves, right? He chooses her, notices her, and he goes to her dad's house. He mans up, and he's like, hey, sir, I want her hand in marriage, and I'm willing to pay for it. That's right. He had to pay money to prove his commitment, prove that he had some means. Um, so he sets, the dad sets the purchase price. Then the groom goes home, finds, you know, the way he scrapes together the cash, takes it. As soon as he pays the price, it's like they're technically married, right? They're not sleeping together, they're not living together, but they're engaged. They're betrothed is the word. Uh, Mary and Joseph, when Jesus, Mary finds out Jesus is going to be born, like they're betrothed. That's in that period of up to a year between paying the price, making the commitment, being technically married, but not yet actually having had the ceremony, living together, all of that stuff. Okay. Interestingly, when the dad and the the groom-to-be make that commitment, they drink a cup of wine together and they say, this is a new covenant. As soon as the payment was made, they're technically married, legally bound together. Okay, the engagement period lasts for up to a year, a long time. When the engagement period is over, this is fun, the groom and his buddies, they choose a night. They wouldn't tell the bride-to-be what night it is. They, They let them know like the week, but they don't tell her the specific night. And they get all together, it's nighttime, they get their torches, they get all their fancy clothes on, light the torches, and they just like parade through the streets and go get her. <laughs> and go get her and carry her off to his father's house where the wedding is going to be. Does it sound a little bit intimidating? Seven brides for seven brothers. Some of you get that reference a little bit. Just roll with it like that he goes and he gets her, takes her to his father's house. Um, after the ceremony, the party began and it lasted a whole week, sometimes two if the dad was wealthy. The wedding reception lasts a whole week. No wonder they went, ran out of wine, right? So eating, drinking, dancing, celebrating the couple, their love, the goodness of life, the payoff of kind of this whole year-long waiting process, big party. So when Revelation 19 says that the marriage of the Lamb has come, and it says uh, it was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen, white and pure, bright and pure, <clears throat> and he says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Don't miss this. You don't just get a feast when Jesus comes back. You get Jesus. You get God. He's the groom. We're the bride. <laughs> the hunger of our souls is not going to be satisfied by any mere feast. I want the feast. I love food. Like, I'm hungry right now. <laughs> but the hunger of our souls is satisfied by God himself. It's what we were made for. And we get him. God's inviting you to see yourself In this story of the God who came for his people, like a bridegroom who comes for his promised bride, right now we're living in the engagement period, that long, like year-long period. That's us right now. We're waiting for him to come and get us, right? When Jesus, the one who's committed himself to us, he's off in his father's house. So it can feel like we're forgotten about, right? It can feel like we're unloved, can feel like, is he even out there? What's going on? What is this weird Christian life? It's because we're in like the interim period. No one likes engagement, guys. I mean, it's better than dating, but it's like not even close to as good as marriage. No one's supposed to like that. It's just something you have to wait through. It's hard. 
Jesus is revealing to you in Revelation 19, you're part of a much larger love story. Jesus set his sights on you before you were born. He came into your house when he was born as a baby. He came into our house when he was born as a baby so he could demonstrate his love with his whole life. He pledged himself to buy you, to buy, to purchase you at the Last Supper when he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He paid the dowry price for you, that price with his own blood when he spilled it for you on the cross. Jesus went back to his father's house, right? He ascended into heaven, not because he didn't love you, but because the time had not yet fully come. That time hadn't been fulfilled. There's a timing to this. But he wants you to know the time is coming, that he's coming back. And he says, be ready, right? Don't get caught on words. Be ready. I'm coming like a groom in the night, torches burning to claim you for my own. He says, I know you're hungry, but the feast is coming, so stay hungry. I got a feast for you. Stay faithful to me. I love you. I love weddings. I cry at weddings. They're awesome. I don't usually cry in movies. Wedding scenes get me. They really get me. Um, the thing that a lot of us like to do when we are at a wedding, the bride comes in. Uh, she's beautiful and everything. Watch the groom, right? Like, I didn't intend to cry at my wedding, but I did because <laughs> I saw my wife. Who wasn't yet my wife? She's coming down, this girl that I love, Mary. It's an awesome moment. And this, this is the uncomfortably intimate picture that God is giving us to say, that's how I feel about you, the church, my people. God's love for sinners like me and you, it's not transactional. It's not a passing phase or convenient option. His love isn't made of romance or infatuation. It's deeper. It's stronger. Song of Solomon says it's stronger than death. It's a covenant. It converts. It's unconditional, and it brings forth a kingdom. How do people who know a feast is coming, if we believe this, how does it change our life? Like, how do we tend our hunger without trying to satisfy it with these false things that don't satisfy? How does the bride-to-be stay faithful to her betrothed until the wedding day? If you realize that, like me, you're not faithful, You've been standing in the breadline of hell, ready to sell your birthright for a bite of affirmation, love, acceptance, significance, numbness, relief, success. If you're there with me, listen to the words of the old gospel hymn that I love. It says, come and feast from heaven's store. Come and drink and thirst no more. I'm just telling y'all, this is saying God's got what you want. He's got it. He's got what you want. He wants you to be filled. He doesn't want you to walk around hungry. He any more than you want it. He doesn't want that. He wants to fill you. No, that won't fully happen until Jesus comes back. Not fully. But even now, he offers you substantial experiences of the things that you crave. And like God's sustenance now to keep us going, to give us what we need until the feast, which is what we really want, it's more like trail mix than Little Debbie's. Right? It's more like Cliff Bars and Hostess Cupcakes. The devil offers you something sweet. He offers you something like sweet and tasty and like delicious, Twinkies or whatever, you know. And we want that. We go after that, but it's not what you need. It's not what you need to go into the battlefield. It's not what you need to survive behind enemy lines. It's not what you need when you're starving, which we all are. God has the crunchy, substantial, nutrient-rich, sometimes spinach, right? <laughs> like... Sometimes steak, sometimes seasoned zeal, delicious bread. He has this for us on our sojourn, for our life behind enemy lines, like MREs, 
right? That no one loves the taste of, but you need them to survive. You need a steady diet of the means of grace. For centuries, Christians have been partaking of God's word, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper, baptism, and prayer on a, a regular basis. You need God's word preached, taught, sung, studied, memorized, meditated on, listened to through your AirPods. You need prayer with others, by yourself, other people praying for you. You need that. Morning, noon, and night. A local church is a smorgasbord of all those things, like go, join. Um, but even throughout the week, not just about going to church, throughout the week, we need this. Is it hard? Yeah, it is. Start small. Is it always fun? No, MREs are not fun to eat. You just need them to survive. Throughout the week, you need this stuff. Um, these things aren't always exciting and delicious, but they're necessary. Okay. If we know the feast is coming, we can deal with the gorp, the trail mix, the cliff bars. We can survive on that. C.S. Lewis has this classic quote. He talks about how the feast is coming. He talks about how that changes our perspective. Okay, so I love this. He says, imagine I'm saying this in like a really nice British accent, but I'm not going to do it because that'd be weird. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Dream of the sea, guys. Leave the mud pies. Jesus is coming for you as his bride, and the wedding feast is going to be worth the wait. It is. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that you have a good thing coming for us. There's a feast on the horizon that will fill our bellies, fill our souls, fill our hearts, our minds. Thank you that you offer to us yourself the thing we were made for, the thing we need. Jesus, in the midst of this sojourn, this battle, it is hard for us. We're hungry and we're so tempted. Every single person in this room is tempted to fill our bellies, try to fill our bellies, try to get some kind of a something that will make us not hungry anymore from things that are not you, things that aren't good for us, things that we weren't made for. Jesus, deliver us from these Help us to wait. Help us to look to you. Help us to enjoy the means of grace that you have given us to help us survive in this difficult time and remind us the feast is coming. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know, right? <laughs>